doubt, deception, discouragement, distraction, and desires. Those are just a few of the spiritual battles that we all experience in this life. Each and every one of us can identify with one of those words. Doubt, deception, discouragement, distraction, and desires. We often doubt God's goodness because we just, we, we, there's a tension there at times. We doubt his goodness and his love for us. Did he really die for me? Would he really die for someone like me? Does he know who I really am? Does he really love me? Will he really never leave me? Is he really preparing a place called heaven for me? And does he care about the details of my life? We buy into so much deception. It's dangled in front of us at every turn. We see the immediate gratification that the world has to offer, and we think things like this, that there has to be something better out there. That what God has given me just isn't enough. It isn't satisfying quickly enough. That everyone else gets to have all of the fun while I follow Jesus and miss out on what everyone else gets to experience. That life looks so appealing. Deception. What about discouragement? Discouragement can be the worst when we have... When we've all felt those feelings that all hope is lost. Not sure if you're going to make it out and make it to the other side. Will our finances or our health situations ever change? Will our kids ever stop hating us? Will we ever get out of debt? Will I make it through chemo? Will my relationships with my friends or my loved ones ever be reconciled? And then we have distraction. This is at an all-time high, but it's not new. It's not a new thing in our world or in the timeline of history, but it's certainly in overdrive right now thanks to unlimited 24-7 technology and media at our fingertips and in front of our face. Serving and giving and spending time with Jesus, enjoying the life that God has given each and every one of us is is often lost far too often in the distraction of pursuing temporary, temporal things. And then we have sinful desires that just seem to pull us so far from where the Lord would want his people to be. Sin will always cause us to pay more than we'll ever hope to pay. And last week I asked you some simple questions. I asked you to consider if you were holding on to anything, any sin that remained between you and Jesus. Something that, that kept you from being at peace with him. I asked you to look back and see if you could recognize the power that it had over, if you, over you, if you could see how it has been used to control you and to keep you from thriving in your walk with Jesus Christ. Those sinful desires will never go away on this side of heaven. So where do they come from, and what do we do, and who is behind them? 
And that's what this series has been all about. What lies beneath? What's underneath the surface? What is happening underneath all of these things that we see? Because we live in a world where there is an unseen battle going on. We live in a world where there are so many things happening beneath the surface. And there is someone who is underneath the surface. That beneath the surface we have an enemy, but we can't be ready for an enemy that we don't know that we have. And so how often do we identify the fact that there is, there are dark forces happening that are working beneath the surface? In week one, we were reminded that our battle is with the enemy of God, and he has an enemy of demons, or a group of demons doing his bidding. And that enemy is after us, but we can resist him. That the battle we are in requires every weapon that we're given. The strength that we need to fight in this battle, it comes from the Lord. And so Paul challenged us last week to put on our armor. The truth is our foundation. Righteousness protects our hearts. The gospel prepares us for battle. And we must wear our gospel shoes everywhere. And so that was last week where we looked at the tools that were given. And we're going to continue that discussion this morning. So if you have a Bible, find Ephesians chapter 6 or device, whatever you choose to use. If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's okay. It'll be on the screen. I will be reading from the NLT, so it may read a little different than yours. But we covered three pieces of armor last week, and today we're going to pick it up here with the shield of faith. It says, in addition to all of these, so the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the gospel shoes— Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, this is no small thing, this, this shield of faith. It's a really big thing. Now, Paul, as we talked about last week, is referencing uh, the Roman soldier in this text. And the shields that they were carrying were, were fairly large. They, were, they, were, they, were, they would not leave the body open to attack. Because something small would not be able to protect us. And so, so Paul's using this as an example. The sh these shields are very large. They were, they were often made of wood and they were covered in leather. They were usually four feet by two feet, sometimes a little bit larger. It took a very fit person to carry one of these shields. These shields were able to cover the important parts of the body to protect it from arrows and from spears. Now, they were also constructed in such a way that they would be interlocked, which is super cool if you could see some pictures on this. Uh, they could be interlocked with other shields to create a, a solid wall-like structure. And this relates to us as well as we practice this, this faith in our lives. But we are not in the battle alone. We fight in the battle with an army of other believers and, and followers of Jesus so we can interlock our faith shields. We can all come together in faith and stand against the flaming darts or arrows of the enemy. And sometimes we need human support. We need the believers around us to circle around us and to help us as we navigate life. I know I've needed that and I've experienced that. There are situations and there have been trials in my life that I would have never made it through without close friends and the people in this church praying for me. You see, faith protects you during attacks. When it comes to the shield, Paul is not talking about saving faith. 
in this verse, this is the faith that we, we live in and we live through after we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save us. The faith that we're talking about, that Paul is talking about, is a tool. We trust in the power and the promises that God gives. God is our shield. Now, I want you to notice that faith is not offensive. It's defensive. Paul says it stops the fiery arrows. Now, during this time in history, arrows would often be dipped in some type of flammable substance, and then they would be lit on fire and shot at the enemy. Now, the hope is that this fiery arrow or dart would penetrate into the enemy territory and would light things on fire. It would, it would burn their, their camps up. It would, it would burn people up. That was the hope. And because of this, most soldiers, if it was available, would soak their shields in water to keep the fiery arrows from igniting. So you just take an, a really heavy shield and you soak that thing in water. It just got even heavier but it had a purpose. And this is what Satan and his demons do. They shoot arrows at our minds, which affect our hearts, and then they wreck our lives. The desire for sin, flesh-focused things. And if we're not filled with this, this faith that Paul is referencing, we cannot keep these arrows from making a huge impact in our lives. They can wreak havoc in our minds and in our hearts and in the lives of those who are around us as well. But here's what's unfortunate in this unseen battle. In a real war, you, you're not usually caught off guard. But in a spiritual war, you're never quite sure when the arrows and the darts are going to come your way. So you have to always be ready. That's what we talked about last week. We put on all of the armor. Paul doesn't say, put on this piece here and there, or when you feel like it. He says, put on the whole armor of God. We have to remember that this shield of faith is able to extinguish the fiery attacks from the enemy, and Satan will try to cause doubt. He will try to get you to doubt God's goodness in your life based on some type of circumstance that you may be going through. But faith can cause us to believe in God's faithfulness and his goodness. Satan will try to use distraction to keep you from doing the things that he's called you to do. But by faith, we know how to respond to those seasons of distraction and evil desire, whatever it may be. Faith is the tool that we use to protect our hearts and our minds. So keep pressing on in faith. So hold up the, the shield of faith, and then verse 17 says, put on salvation as your helmet. Now our minds, as we learned last week, are a target for the enemy. And this is what happened to Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. When we put on the helmet of salvation, it protects our minds. It shows that our minds are now safe. They are controlled by God. If we hope to be victorious, and I hope we all do hope to be victorious in this life, in our spiritual growth and in our work, we must understand that our minds have to be controlled and therefore protected by God because salvation protects our mind. When God is in control of our mind, Satan has a really tough job cutting through. He has a lot of work for, ahead of him. 
This is why studying your Bible is so vital and knowing certain essential doctrines is a must. Not all of them and not right away, but God's word changes us so we need to get to soaking our minds in it. This will keep us from falling prey to those teachings. I love what First, Second Peter 3 says. He says, rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him both now and forever. Peter and Paul, who wrote a huge chunk of our New Testament, they were always teaching this type of truth. No matter where they went, the word of God, salvation protected them from Satan's lies. Our identity in Christ is acknowledged in our heads and using this helmet protects our mindset Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 8 he calls it a helmet of the hope of salvation we have hope in Christ and we should put that on we should preach the gospel to ourselves every opportunity that we get because when you are dealing with those attacks from the enemy and he's attacking your mind and you're doubting his goodness and you're doubting his love for you, we can remind ourselves how much he loves us by preaching the good news of the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. It's a beautiful thing when you realize that you were hopeless that this enemy was going to attack and he was going to try to rip you apart and you had no hope apart from Jesus Christ. You remember that you were dead in your sin. You remember that you were separated from him. You remember that the only way that you have access to any hope in life is through the gospel. It's through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, conquering sin, death, and the grave. And that gives us hope. And it provides us with protection. So don't give the enemy access to your mind. No one sets out to do this, but it's what inevitably happens when we leave ourselves and our minds vulnerable. Salvation protects our mind. Verse 17 continues. It says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is the main point here and throughout this whole text, really. Things change now, but because this is, the, this is the first and only offensive weapon that Paul gives us. You see, on the belts, any Roman soldier would have a sword which was used for up-close fighting. It was sharp on both sides. The Bible references this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Many of you know it. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Acts chapter 2, verse 27, 37 says that the word of God cuts to our hearts and it convicts us of sin. God's word is the active force in the fight. In this fight, in this battle, God's word is the active force. You see, metal swords, they, they would affect the body, the physical body. But the sword of the spirit, the word, it affects the heart. Metal swords, as you know, they get dull over time. As you use them, they, they're not as sharp as they used to be, but that's not the case with the Word. The more we read, the more we study, the more we apply the Word of God, the sharper the Word becomes. You see, when we take out our sword, 
and we use it against God's enemy, we deal him a blow that makes his mission of thwarting God's work so much more difficult. In week one, I talked about Satan's attempts to tempt Jesus in the garden. And Jesus would use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to fight his deception. Jesus would use the phrase, it is written, or in some translations, have you not read or have you not heard three different times? He used God's word to, to stand against his attacks and his attempts to lead him astray. But what's interesting and what we cannot forget is that our enemy likes to use God's word as well. But he's a master manipulator and he's a con artist and he certainly doesn't and he never keeps it in context. He's, he always leaves something out. There's always something missing. He's always twisting something and he will confuse it. So that's why it's important that we know it so we can identify counterfeits. A friend shared with me that she worked at a bank and was taught how to quickly identify counterfeit money simply by studying real money. The more she knew what real money looked like, the easier it was to single out the fake ones. The more we know, the more we study, the more we live out the word in our lives, the easier it will be for us to identify when the enemy is trying to trip us up with a counterfeit gospel, with a counterfeit truth. In Romans 13, Paul tells the people to do all of this with their armor on, to stay alert, to put off sin, and to put on the armor of light. So put on your armor. Satan and his demons, they're always close by. We don't have to walk in fear but we must always be armored up and ready to go. And then lastly, in verse 18, Paul says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So pray. Prayer gives us power. Now this is easy to say, but it's, it's a common struggle for so many of us. But we can't do any of this. None of this stuff that Paul is, has listed for us, we can't do any of it in our own strength. No matter how strong we think we are, we cannot go into the to battle with the enemy on our own. If we want to be victorious, we must pray. Paul says pray at all times. He will say in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. Now that verse always seemed confusing to me when I was younger. Like, why even try if I know I'm not going to achieve the gold star of praying every single moment in my life? And that might have been a result of some, some bad teaching as I was growing up. But this isn't saying that we literally pray with eyes closed and hands folded 24-7. It's really about being in communion with our God. It's about walking in step with Him, walking side by side, never putting Him in a compartment but always walking in intimacy with him. 
It's a state of mind. It's a position of our heart. He says, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This word all, it shows up multiple times in these verses because we must be praying for one another. This is why we have a prayer list. This is why we encourage you to be praying for those on your prayer list. This is why in our in-home adult small groups, we push our small group leaders to make prayer a huge part of group night, but not just group night, but within the group. Be praying for one another, sharing one another's needs and burdens and cares. Stay alert and be consistent, Paul says. Persevere. If you're not happy with your prayer life, fix it. Make it happen. Get where you need to be with it. And if you're currently, you've got just a killer prayer life, that's awesome. Stick with it. Don't quit. Don't let the enemy distract you and keep you from making that a priority. The early church made it a priority. In Acts 1, it says they all met together and were constantly united through prayer. In Acts 2, it says all the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing of meals and to prayer. And we should do the same. We don't pray to get what we want or just to twist God's arm. It's where we go when something is pressing hard on us and we can't get past or we desperately need God to provide an answer. But prayer is also where we go to just thank him for how good he has been and all that he has done in our lives and how he has provided so much for us. It's simply the beginning of a day. God, give me wisdom and strength to know what to do today. I use the, the Lord's Prayer from, from Matthew and from Luke. I, I use Ephesians chapter 6 as a guide so often in my prayers. God, help me to stand firm. Help me to be strong. Help me take up the shield of faith. Help me to put on the belt, to have the belt of truth, to do the things that, that you want me to do. Help me to stay persistent. Prayer is our most powerful resource apart from the Word of God. They work together. In verse 19, Paul asks for something specific, though. We often miss this in sermons, but, but he says this in verse 19. He says, And pray for me, too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. So we must pray for gospel focus. Paul's not just saying, hey, put on the armor just for you. Don't just live this life for you, but all of this is centered around the thing that gives you a reason to pray, that gives you a reason to put on the belt of truth and to take that breastplate of righteousness and to put on this life of standing firm in God's truth. It's all centered around the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is encouraging the people here in Ephesus to pray for him as he proclaims the good news of the gospel. Why? Because Satan does not want us, they did not want Paul to share the good news. He did not want this message of Jesus coming and living this life that we could never live and paying the price for our sins to get out. If there was any single thing that we could do that would put a target on our backs, 
It's the moment that you decide that proclaiming and being obedient to the command to proclaim the gospel is something that you are going to make a priority. It's sharing the message that our enemy will do anything to prevent from being shared. He wants to keep the world blinded to this truth. Paul confirms that, that he has blinded the eyes of mankind, that he doesn't want us to persevere through conflict and persecution when we are sharing the gospel because evangelism is wartime work and Satan and his workers oppose it. So we need God's power if we ever think that we're going to proclaim it and be able to stand firm. We need God's power to do it faithfully. And we need to pray for each other as we engage in the battle. While we build relationships with people who are far from God, while we share the story, the hope of the gospel with them, and while we invite and bring others to come and see, come and hear. There's so much to this text. There's so much that Paul is reminding us of. And I know for me, I look at these verses so many times and I think I've heard dozens and hundreds of sermons on this topic. I've read this text a hundred times. This is a Sunday school type, type text. But I'm reminded so often as I read through these things how much I struggle to keep the armor on. I have my own sinful desires. I have my own struggles with so many things. And I need to be reminded every single day that I am to put on the whole armor of God and I am to stand firm. And it's only then that I will see God bless and do a work that only he gets the honor and glory for anyways. And that's the kind of work that I want to be a part of. You see, God gives the weapons we need to win the war. We are in a battle. You may not like to use that kind of language, I understand, but we are in a war with God's enemy. And he will stop at nothing to get you. I've seen it, I've experienced it, I feel it all the time. So we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to stand ready with our armor on. We need to pray with boldness that we are not left to fight the battle alone or without weapons. We have a good God who has provided every single thing that we need, and it's our responsibility to take up the armor and engage in the fight. We have all we need. Truth is our foundation. Our hearts are protected by righteousness. We are to wear our gospel shoes everywhere. We have faith that will protect us from the attacks of the enemy. Salvation will protect our mind, and victory is provided when we use the sword of the Spirit, and prayer will give us all of the energy that we need to win the war. So, where are you this morning? What's your struggle? When you think about all the things that you encounter on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, hourly, whatever it may be, have you identified those things as what's happening from beneath the surface? Those lies that the enemy's whispering into your mind, the truth that has been twisted, whatever it is, how often do you stop and think, what is my next move going to be?
Am I ready to engage in the battle that God has called me to engage in? I hope you are, and I hope you will. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are thankful and grateful this morning for your word and that it is a sword that is, that is sharp and it, it gets into the deepest parts of us. And so God, I pray that you would, that you would take this simple truth and that you would open our eyes to the need to live it out. Because God, underneath the surface, what lies beneath is an enemy who hates us and hates you. But you've given us what we need to engage in the battle and win the war. So God, give us the strength and the courage to follow you and to know you better. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.